0: Hello and welcome to The Andyplex, the podcast where we talk about films we love with creatives. I'm your host, Andy Majorano, and this is episode 31, The Power of Podcast Compels You. With me today, to break down and analyze the 1973 horror drama from now-late cinematic titan William Friedkin, The Exorcist, is cinephile, cinema historian, actor, and filmmaker, Christopher Charles Stefanik.
1: (laughs) Welcome and bienvenue, welcome, come on in.
0: (laughs) Christopher, it's so good to have you. Um, I met you at the New Beverly Theater, which is our church Mm -hmm. here Mm -hmm. in Hollywood, owned by Quentin Tarantino. And I feel like the first bunch of times I went, you were always there. I think one time I went and you weren't there, and it was really weird. I was like, oh, doesn't he just exist in this place all the time?
1: (laughs) I know, sometimes you have to look in the nooks and crannings for us, but we're there.
0: Yeah. I am so stoked to have you in my apartment at the Plex.
1: It's an honor to be here. I'm You're a legendary figure. <laughs> it's by you of all people.
0: <laughs> I asked you what movie you wanted to do, and you said Exorcist Two, The Heretic.
1: I did. I did. I believe that is a vastly underrated, overlooked, misunderstood masterpiece. Yeah. Yes, I know we're kind of a marginalized <laughs> group that's coming on the new wave of cinema lovers to say that, but uh, I think there's room for discussion.
0: I, I, was, I was so touched. And we were actually at William Fritkin's Sorcerer a couple mm. of months ago. I think it was May it was, of yeah. this year, 23. Mm-hmm. And that's when you said you love that movie. And then that was a couple of months before Bill sadly left us. Yeah. And so when he passed, I just needed to do a Fritkin movie. I haven't done one yet. I'm a Fritkin fan. I'm a huge Fritkin fan. Hell yeah. I'm a Fritkin Fritkin fan. And I was like, I need to bring in the big guns for this for this one. And so I, I pushed, I uh, twisted your arm a little bit. I mean, not probably
1: that much, but I said,
0: "Hey, can we please do Exorcist?"
1: Just a little bit. No, and I, I appreciate <laughs> that you did because I'm uh, I am just as big. Well, I'm, I don't know, maybe not just as big, but I'm definitely a major fan of Friedkin's work. Uh, saw him more times than I can count live, speaking at his films or at other people's films. DGA, TCM, Arrow, Egyptian. Uh, the Academy, uh, Mm. and he was always – he was very generous with his time, you know, and very learned with his words.
0: I know. I am – now that he's gone, of course, in hindsight, I was this close to going to the cruising. Was it October of last year? It was back in October, yeah. Yeah, I watched it on YouTube the day he passed. Mm. And I'm actually a little bit of a late bloomer when it comes to freaking appreciation. It was my dear friend, John Gallagher Jr., who I really – I really – owe him so much for getting me into fritkin i i was already an exorcist fan and i'd seen a couple of other movies but it was in 2014 i had just been out here for a couple of years and he said you got to come with me he was working in town he lives in new york but he was out here mm-hmm. working he's an actor he's awesome and he's killing it shout out to john he did the shining episode with me over the pandemic and um He's like this movie Sorcerer is playing at the it's now uh, brain dead but it's um, Cinefamily mm-hmm. the Cine you know the silent movie theater, <laughs> LA's only silent movie theater yes which was their slogan but anyway he said they just did a restoration of this movie Sorcerer and I was like oh is it about is it about sorcerers is it like a you know a wizard movie or what what is this I had and he's like oh well you know William Freakin, right French Connection and Exorcist and I was like oh my god I love those movies but I've never even heard of this he's like yeah I know nobody has freaking considers it his masterpiece and it haunted him that he lost control of the cut and it was a kind of a commercial and critical failure, but he considered it his best movie.
1: Yeah. Well, he always did mention that I'm would love to know where it was reported, uh, just because he's always told me that that was the film of all of his films that turned out exactly as he had hoped it would turn out. So I didn't oh. realize that he'd lost control of that. Oh, movie. maybe
0: I'm, maybe where I'm he... getting my stories mixed up. Uh, well, I thought there was there was a 2014 reprint of it, and I thought he did some tweaks to it. but He
1: did, uh, and I actually... Yeah, so I, it's funny. They did a four-day run of the uh, four-track magnetic stereo-optic print of the film at the New Beverly back in, I want to say, 2016. And I think, don't quote me on this, but I think it was Ronald Vidor, the cameraman, was behind me in the concession line of all places and was talking to me nice. about uh, the... Uh, the strenuous lengths that everybody took to make sure the film got exactly right. Uh, When they were filming the famous bridge scene, Mm. for example, and uh, they had rain machines going. I know, right? That scene keeps me on the edge of my seat every single time, and it never lessens in its quality. Unbelievable. Uh, Yeah, he had mentioned that the camera fell into this uh, Amazonian river with piranha, and uh, cameramen dove in right there to get it. (laughs) And you actually see a shot of the camera falling into the water in the film. You right. see it from the as the POV yeah, from one the of the POV. characters. Yeah, but that was the camera yeah. really falling in and then dove in with this piranha. Not planned. <laughs> not planned, not planned yeah. at all. So uh, he was really fun I just thought they were like, oh, it's it. going to shut up. The, the camera going underwater. <laughs> I know, right? Let's put, attach it to a string, right? And dip it in. No, that was a real, uh, a real happy accident. And I believe it might also have been him who had uh, denounced Friedkin's restoration of the film. You were talking about how okay. he did the week-long Uh, showing of the restoration digitally at the silent movie theater Uh, and the cameramen were saying this was undoing everything all the hard work Mm. that uh, that went into the film in the first place yeah so it's uh, you know so I've only so final cut you know sounds like Friedkin did have final cut
0: (laughs) it's one of the most harrowing powerful experiences it's gritty the action it's it's dark it's bleak Mm. but it's got this driving intensity that is just hypnotic and and all-consuming like you said and it's just so powerful. Definitely, I'm going to do an episode on the show. I'm actually hoping I can get John Gallagher back in, because he's the one that kind of infected me with the obsession <laughs> with it. And then he was like, here's Fritkin's autobiography. Mm-hmm. And I the read Friedkin
1: it. Connection. Yep.
0: I read it front to back, and I was like, this guy can write. You know, he could have been an author. He's just just such a guy. And then my obsession has built more from there. But I was really, really sad when he died, Chris. Um, I know he was yeah. 87. And I just, of course, now in hindsight, I'm like, I should have gone and seen him live. But anyway, I want to just ring you as a towel, having seen him so many times and hope the sure. <laughs> hope it just washes over me here. Because um, I just think the man's brilliant. And he, all of his movies, there's something about them. And I, I, I really wanted to ask for you, what is it about his stuff that... Is just so special. What makes him such a special guy? It, can you quantify it? Can you? Sure, put sure. Put it in words.
1: Th- thank you. Yeah. Uh, first off, I want to say I completely share your sentiment. I know he had lived a very full life. He more often than not had it his way, and he mm-hmm. has left behind a legacy that will, you know, live on for generations and generations and generations. Absolutely. And, uh, and so that's important. And no- nothing's going to take that away, but life always just felt better because he was around. Which brings me to answer your question, Uh, what's so special about his films are that they were so high caliber and very forceful, but always had the deepest part of humility mixed in mm. with them. It was it, like, you use the term hypnotic and, and you're right about that. I, I think he, he always had a very mystical, hypnotic way about showing people that were accessible to audiences in situations that were far beyond the reach of their own everyday imaginations, you know, and that includes French Connection, that includes Exorcist, that includes Sorcerer, that uh, includes Cruising. Uh, yeah, which I he, finally
0: just saw. Mm-hmm. Loved it. Yeah, I saw uh, To Live and Die in L.A. at the Los Feliz 3 not too long ago. Saw French Connection at Brain Dead last year. Mm-hmm. So I'm working my way through. And yeah, I've seen Sorcerer twice now once in 4K, the remaster in 2014, and then the day you and I were together. I'm actually wearing my sorcerer shirt right now that I wore. I saw, I saw that. Yeah, uh, that was such a wonderful day. That we got delayed. I think it was the first night of five, right? Or four? I, or five? I believe
1: it was. Yeah, it was a like a over extended over the weekend. Yeah. And that was
0: the four track mag again. I think they're mm-hmm. having issues, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. But um, I was like, yeah. oh, I'm not
1: working tomorrow. And <laughs> oh no, no, no. I was like
0: pre gaming in line, and we were having the time of our lives. And yeah. I, I was literally like, Bill, I hope you're out there. I know that this line got there first, I think it was like me and Nikki and then you and Angel showed up mm-hmm. and then the line just kept getting longer and longer and longer and by the time they played the movie it was already like 9pm, I think I got there at 4 <laughs> in
1: yeah, the it afternoon. Were, it was right, it was yeah. It was pretty late and the line was already around the block by the time it that was, they laid in. It and was
0: like, it was like oh my god, is Metallica playing here tonight or something? <laughs> right. you know, watching a damn near 50 year old movie, mm-hmm. that's what I love about the new Beverly Everything I love about this town is just like, oh my god, is this the new Star Wars movie? You know, like people are camping out for it, it right? as if it's like, it got its due, duty- that it thing. should have gotten
1: in summer of seventy-seven, right? Which right. was as you know when, oh, yeah, when it was released. I believe yeah. it was released on either the same day or, or or close enough to Star Wars that Star Wars buried it. You buried know, it, didn't it yeah. Didn't have a chance? There's other films, like another great film that I'd love to talk to you about sometime, The Deep. Peter Yates The Deep. I've never seen it. It's okay, so that's, that's you Yates. know Peter Benchley. Oh yeah. It it well, it's Peter Benchley and it was on the of Jaws. Jaws. Yeah, so Robert Shaw's in it, and then you have McNulty and Jacqueline Bissett in a wet t-shirt mm. and, Uh, It was, it had a couple of weeks on Star Wars, so it had enough time to recoup its costs. To have a little, yeah, little lead time to (laughs) make some money before before Star Wars just destroyed everything. Mm -hmm. Uh,
0: But yeah, Yeah. I mean, I was like, Bill, if you're out there. And then a couple months later, he was gone. And, um, you know, it's just one of those things where you never know. We're all on the clock. We're we're all... uh, Renting a room here on, yeah. on planet Earth. We're not, yeah, it we're is. not And he understood
1: anything. that. And, you know, but it's funny. Every time that I would see him speak, he never seemed to age to me. He was essential. And by that, I mean it, he was an essence more than a human to me.
0: I know. I, I love that. That's really well said. And I watched The Cruising, which was October of last year. So, you know, he had less than a, a year to live um, now knowing the timeline. And I think he made one comment about his, his old age or something, but you wouldn't know it. You know, I think he said his legs were starting to be an issue, but
1: something about his knees perhaps.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's like, Oh, I'm feeling a, I'm feeling an ailment. I think it's old age, but yeah. But he spoke eloquently, his voice, he has that kind of nasal, I'm bill freaking, you know, he has that like very nasal, like cadence to him. Mm -hmm. He's well-spoken flowery language, lots of adjectives. Yeah. It's just, you could just like his films. He's a, has a hypnotic quality to his speech and he's just one of those just passionate lovers of life and like you said it transcends and mm-hmm. yeah it's like oh man bill freaking's not allowed to die i mean he, sure he's old but i mean he's bill freaking he's like yeah he's, he's like this not even human being he's a know? force
1: of nature he's a force of nature he, he really is and uh, i want to to continue answering your question i want to go back to uh, some of his earlier films uh, oh yeah he d- yeah he did two films that were based on stage plays uh the first one was with robert shaw called the birthday party and the second one was Mark Crowley's Boys in the Band. Boys in the Band, right. Which was very controversial in its time and. Late 60s? Uh, yeah, it, the play was in the late 60s. I think the film was actually in 1970. Again, don't quote
0: me. Okay, but, yeah, one year before a French connection.
1: Yeah, yeah, but he was. He used Tammy Grimes' apartment in New York to full extent for its uh, tight closed in spaces and claustrophobia. Uh, to kind of weave the tale of this group of gay men who are gathering for one of them's birthday and kind of the degradation into self-loathe and issues Mm. and problems, you know, trying to adapt to the rest of a, quote, normal society and, you know, where they all kind of came from. It's one of his most hypnotizing films and seems also very personal. And I remember speaking to him about the film once and thanking him for it and uh <sighs> asking him where a lot of that came from. You got to talk to him. I oh I did. He gave me a big hug after it. Oh, oh my, my goodness. goodness. No, I don't take that for granted. Did you either. shower? Uh, no, no. Good. good. <laughs> I, I keep parts of myself un- unclenched for that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, he uh, but but he had said that uh he adds a part of himself to everything that he does. Yeah. And you know, and he said it was all about the human relationships and uh and that's where he based it on. So You know, maybe he was sorting something out with his sexuality, and I don't want to come under fire for saying something like that, but let's Mm -hmm. be honest, he actually, he did a couple of queer-themed films. Right. So uh, if he wasn't trying to work something out with himself, which I think it would be totally beautiful if he was, but if he wasn't, then the fact that he was a big name that was ballsy enough to give queer audiences that was just as wonderful you know and yeah after we had a little conversation and we talked about cruising it was the same thing uh he was just fascinated by this underworld fascinated by the interrelations between people and uh yeah he gave me a big hug this was at the arrow i believe and he gave me a big hug and then walked out of the theater and i was like oh "Oh my god God." yeah well
0: fritkin man well so yeah i mean uh and then getting ready for today tackling the now 50th anniversary of it wears the accolade, the greatest horror movie ever made, The Exorcist. Yeah, It's now 50. Mm. I hadn't seen it in a couple of years, and I watched it twice this week to get ready for today. And it's just so powerful and so good. And I think what makes it so good is it doesn't play like a horror. It, mm-hmm. And he says this, I watched his commentary a couple of times to get ready for today as well. And he says he wants to approach this horror... As a a realistic approach. Mm -hmm. Make it real. Make it grounded. Make it believable. Yeah. Like, I don't care if you're Catholic. I don't care if you're not Catholic. Whatever. You're Jewish. Like, it's not about that. It's about this harrowing journey to save this poor girl.
1: Right. Yeah. Well, it's about, uh, right, it's about the way that the characters are affected by it uh, and the actual... Cause of what's ailing them is really incidental, because the focus mm. is more on the character's struggle to uh, cope, to with overcome, it. yeah, and to overcome yeah. it.
0: Yeah. What is what does this movie really break down for you? What does it really mean for you at its core?
1: You know, it's it, it, I've had a lot of trouble with The Exorcist of late because I am a am a deist person, but I am not a religious person by any means. I love that, and yeah, it's yeah. I'm a purely spiritual. I'm person. the same way. Yeah, right yeah and like does
0: it, does it does it does it does it say that Catholicism is the only way it it doesn't really
1: well do i it, feel uh, my personal I take, take that from it. it i don't take that from it but i do feel like you have to be catholic in order for this movie to have a quote scary mm. impact on you i find it nonetheless fascinating because it's about people from different walks of life who are all brought together over uh, trying to save an innocent soul. A common goal. Yeah. Of, a, 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 yeah. Yeah. A common goal of trying to come together for someone who is innocent, someone who's pure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and everybody has done their part to do that. And, you know, Jason Miller, who just oh gives goodness. a tour de force performance in that.
0: I didn't know so much about him until listening to the commentary. He kind of passed originally, and then they ended up casting somebody else. Mm-hmm. And then he was in New York. He had that play. That won the Pulitzer Prize here. I wrote, I
1: wrote yeah, he down. wasn't even that much of an actor at no, the time. No, I don't think he acted at all. No, yeah, this was... They, he just kind of called in and was like, well, okay, I guess I'm doing this.
0: <laughs> yeah, um, the, that championship season, freaking saw it in New York, and then he went back to L.A. to work, to get ready f- to make The Exorcist mm-hmm. in L.A. And uh, he, um, Miller hadn't read the book yet, the bloody novel, mm. and he got a call, or freaking got a call from Jason Miller later saying, I read it, I read it, and this guy's me. I'm. I struggle with my faith. Mm-hmm. This this Father Karras is me. Yeah. And I I have to be the guy. And at the time, uh, freaking had already been maneuvering. He really wanted Bernstein. The studio didn't want Bernstein. Got Bernstein. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, now I can't just, you know, pivot with this other casting choice. The studio's kind of already like, all right, well we've succumbed and went with Bernstein. <laughs> and uh, now I, I we've already casted it, man. And he's like. I don't care. I, I have to be this guy yeah. and I, I, I must do this. Mm-hmm. And then he's like, all right, well, if you can get to LA in a day or two, we'll screen test you. And he's like, well, I don't fly. So it's going to take me four or five days to get there. <laughs> and he's like, all right, well, I'll wait for you. And then we'll do a screen test. And like like he did with uh, Bernstein and uh, and the daughter, um, Reagan, mm-hmm. they found that chemistry with some improv and they did like a like a... Like a interview kind of process where the characters interview each other. Mm-hmm. Well, they did the same thing with Karis and Bernstein. And they were like, "Oh my, he was like, oh my God, he's he's the guy. And he's like, this was a, maybe 37 years later after the movie came out. And he's like, I can't imagine anybody playing it but Miller now. Yeah. And it's crazy. And he calls it, freaking said, There's there's the cinema gods and sometimes they... Mm-hmm. They, or you least expect that they, yeah, everything is in alignment like that
1: for real. Yeah, the stars are in alignment. And that, that's another thing too to uh, go on with answering your question is uh, that it's to me the film was kind of it was breaking ground in a way that I think uh, audiences needed it to, so that audiences view of the world and how they reflect upon it through their experiences in seeing motion pictures. Uh, was elevated Mm -hmm. you know it it was elevated it was taken to a new level and it was an opportunity to be able to do things you hadn't done before you know scare the hell out of audiences masturbatory with you know crucifixion masturbations and you know the head spinning and all of this coming from a 12 year old girl I mean when you think about the ideas now they're quite commonplace because the film has been so influential but at the time none of that was in anybody's subconscious And it was it was really quite just to think back on that how shocking that must have been fifty years ago now right yeah can you and imagine I I know right it's uh, like now it, it it seems like well yeah it should have been obvious but I mean you know fifty right. years ago and yet fifty years ago at the same time wasn't that long ago you know I you know
0: it's it's wild no and Bill says that to him this movie you know we're on first name terms Bill says uh, yeah. this movie is about the battle for good and evil and then it's a constant battle mm-hmm. yeah and that good wins this time mm-hmm. but evil's still out there mm-hmm. and it will take constant vigilance it will take constant supervision from us yeah to to thwart it and you you can strip away all the religious stuff and all the allegory and, and you know the demonic stuff that it, it's it's a metaphor for as you said this people from all different backgrounds i like that uniting for a common goal mm. yeah. to save this innocent 12 year old girl yeah, who is just a girl. yeah. And he said it was also an analysis of ritual and procedure, mm. uh, medical and religious. Yeah. Where yeah. you know, so we have, we have the, uh, the ministers doing their thing, mm-hmm. uh, but then we also have the medical yeah. procedural happening and trying to find answers via both. and, I actually, freaking says that the most jarring, disgusting, intense—not disgusting, but the most jarring and in-your-face moment is actually when the needle goes into Reagan's neck. Yeah, and it is brutal.
1: It's yeah, it's, it's pretty descriptive. It's
0: descriptive, <laughs> and the, yeah, that blood looks incredible. We had the great Dick Smith on special effects, you know, who trained Rick Baker, and um, mm-hmm. he was a titan. And all hail Dick Smith, yeah. Dick Smith, man, and uh, yeah, uh, he said basically. If I didn't get Dick Smith, I don't know what I was going to do. It's Dick Smith or bust. So it's good he got him.
1: (laughs) Right, yeah. There was a lot of A-game that came of which Dick Smith was definitely one of the ringleaders of. You can see this film. Right, you can see this film have been going down like an AIP, you know, an American International Pictures kind of a horror film. If it weren't for the sophistication and the prestige brought by Dick Smith and, you know, everybody else on board.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It was a real team effort. And, uh, yeah, so... I just feel like he succeeded. This movie, yeah, because I have grappled with it too. And I remember when I first saw it in high school, it was like, oh, it's the scariest movie ever. And I was starting to bud into my obsession with horror, which has mm-hmm. continued and continued and continued. And I almost don't even like see it as a horror, but I guess that's how, as you said, freaking transcends the genres that he's depicting. It's, yeah, it's it, the horror is stems from just caring so much. Yeah. And this last time I saw it, Chris, I think I texted you. I was in tears Mm -hmm. from Bernstein's just the harrowing, perilous journey of this mother. Yes. Just desperate Mm -hmm. to save her daughter. Yeah. And you really... It was real. Mm -hmm. I was like... I, I was in tears. I, yeah. I was so moved by her performance. It was so powerful and so gripping.
1: I, I agree with you. It's in years, in, in later years in my life, it's also become quite an emotional uh, build-up and release for me as well. Mm. Uh, and not only her, but uh, Jason Miller, you know, down at the stairs and taking confession, and you know, uh, what is it, Reverend William O'Malley's, who was a real life reverend who's oh, yeah, also yeah. a technical consultant for the film is Mm -hmm. reading him his last rites. And I mean, it's just, everybody kind of gets this, not quite closure, but everybody uh, gets a finale.
0: Is this the greatest horror movie that ever was?
1: Uh, It's definitely one of them. It's, I think there are, there are other ones that brought, uh, You know, apples, oranges, bananas, and pineapples, you know, I think there are many different (laughs) kinds of, uh, you know, and horror is, horror, I think we can agree, horror is a favorite genre shared between you and I. Absolutely. Like it's, uh, uh, you can do so much with it, I feel. Uh, You can, you can, right, you can make a statement, and you can show the anxieties of the real world, and uh, you can show... Hum- humility through it, I think, is the most important part mm-hmm. because
0: there's a common ground that we all share. We all we all have collective fears and the collective unconscious. Yeah. Andy Mitten, who was on my show, he's an independent um, film director, and him and my my dear friend Rich King are working together and had him on to do uh, the Creep Show episode last October, and he says nice. that horror is a way to analyze the darkness of humanity from a safe vantage point, mm-hmm. but just flirting with the danger enough because you know it's a movie ultimately Yeah. but the ones that really take us there really take us there and and there's the ones that last freaking actually says like there's a a, usually a large disconnect in horror between the filmmaker and the audience you can feel the artifice you can the the angles the Mm -hmm. the music and he's like i wanted everything to be understated i wanted like even tubular bells that he found this he was looking for a piece that like was Horrifying. and had like a little bit of a lullaby to it, but a little bit of a drive, but but understated. Not too mm-hmm. much. Not too big. Didn't want it to be this big orchestral. Oh, you're supposed to be scared now. Yeah. Uh, not a lot of trickery. Not, not of force, a lot of um, no. optical effects. You know, a mm-hmm. lot of in camera. Well, Wanted it, to. Your eye can tell. Mm-hmm. You know, when definitely. It's real or not.
1: And uh, what I, uh, if I may, just deter from William for a second. I was at the silent movie theater once, and uh, Wes Craven was there. One of his last final, appear- final appearance. Oh, my goodness. R.I.P. And uh, he had put it so succinctly and eloquently when he had talked about the philosophy of fear and that the mm. first thing anybody could remember of their natural born life is the fear of being born, is the fear of entering this new and scary where world. Where am I? What is this? Right? I know. Right? Like, what is it? Oh, my God! I'm a live person! And... <laughs> <laughs> and it was really fun with it. And he said, you know, everything always kind of goes back to that. So the genesis yeah. of who we are as people really is rooted in that. So that's another level, I think, of fear that everybody can relate to.
0: Oh, I love that. Yeah, actually, I actually have a signed, um, this was a gift from my dear friend, Grass, Ryan Grassmeier. This is a signed uh, Scream 4 poster from Wes. Oh, no. Nice. It was a housewarming gift when I moved in here.
1: Oh, my God. I, I'm envious. <laughs> and, uh, yeah,
0: I, I, I'm such a big fan. And yeah. uh, that's so cool. You got, I never did get to see him either. And But yeah, I I just feel like this movie... I don't even consider it a horror, but... It's like what is horror? I mean, we're starting to get you know into the weeds
1: with like definitions and titles mm-hmm. and whatnot. Elevated horror and whatnot. Oh, Elevated horror, right? At this point, I look at Exorcist more as just a really well-told story. You yeah. go in, you laugh, Absolutely. you cry, you scream, and you know you you've learned mm-hmm. something or thought about something. I mean, you come out of it just having had an experience, and you know it is different for everybody. The Exorcist does not scare me personally, but it does. Uh, it does ring bouts of energy through me. The moment of, you know, power of Christ compels you and all of a sudden there's this silence between them and, you know, they're going, oh my God, this girl's levitating. Something is happening here. And I mean, I'm getting goosebumps now even talking about it. Even I can I, confirm
0: uh, the goosebumps.
1: Right, yeah, even I'm like going, it's just the brilliant direction of the scene and the characterization and uh, the nuance of where it falls in the final exorcism is mm-hmm. so powerful and uh and, so powerful yeah and that's uh, again it transcends all actual genre elements and is just a good fucking story
0: it's i couldn't agree more i i put it on the other night uh, here in the plex and cranked it and sure it's moody as all hell did i have trouble sleeping that night no but i was so gripped and yeah. you know if the horror is an emotional visceral carnal feeling that it's almost like wringing a towel Mm
1: -hmm.
0: and you're the towel, your nervous system is the towel. I was there. I mean, I was so invested and I was literally welling up with tears. And sometimes I say, I don't cry enough. Um, Mm. you know, I'll get a little misty here and there, but I was like crying for this little girl's soul. And I know in the back of my head, it's a movie. Yeah. You know, I know it's a film. I know it's a piece of fiction. Mm. Uh, but, it was so well done that I forgot that. And I was like, Oh my God. And I even know the ending I've seen it, you know, I've seen it countless Mm -hmm. times Mm -hmm. and that was probably my 10th viewing probably um, over the last 20 some years. And yeah, I, I was so gripped and it's the takeaways uh, this go are how much the Jason Miller follow Karis character is the dynamic character for me Mm -hmm. and his faith being tested and challenged by the demon, Um, his guilt with his mother. Demi why you do this to me yeah. Demi? And, and, yeah. and, and he's like I'm not the guy for the job and it's so funny that now that I know the dual, the dual layer kind of Russian doll of Jason Miller saying he's not the guy for the job really? and then later being like I am the guy for the job <laughs> and I, I my faith has been tested and it just being so kind of real and Friedkin's ability to make it real and bring in real folks uh bringing in real party guests for that that party oh yeah yeah that was that wasn't screen extras uh in cruising actually going into those mm-hmm. those those places yeah uh actually going to that dig in iraq for the for the first right
1: scene. yeah no he was a sucker for authenticity and uh and you feel it yeah
0: i almost put friedkin and kubrick allow me if i may extrapolate this might be too too generalizing but mm-hmm. kubrick and Friedkin almost kind of on on polar opposites I feel like with Kubrick, there's this heightened reality, and Mm -hmm. everything's heightened and larger than life. Not to say it's not scary or or good. I'm a huge fan. I'm a massive fan. I'm a massive Kubrick fan. But with Fritkin... Hats off. Yeah, hats off, man. Uh, And The Shining is probably my favorite horror. Um, But when I'm watching The Shining, there is this obsession with undoing the symbology, undoing the rabbit hole, and that's a whole other thing. But with the exorcist i'm just so gripped by how real it does feel mm-hmm. and he succeeded i mean yeah. there's a reason it, it holds so well he's analyzing something that is you know philosoph- philosophical or religious or you know something that's beyond larger than life but analyzing in a way that is grounded and bringing horror into the home bringing horror into the mm-hmm. family yeah into the nuclear family uh and like you said it doesn't matter like what you believe or what you what, what you think But these people are desperate to achieve Mm -hmm. salvation for this girl. Yeah. And you're on board, man. Absolutely. And that's the power of the movie. Yeah. The power of Christ compels you. It does.
1: I was going to say very compelling. The power of the movie compels compels you. you. He compels you. He got that one right. (laughs)
0: Are there any things that you've noticed kind of watching it? When was the last
1: time you watched it, actually? So uh, I'm going to tangent for you just a little bit and... uh, talk about uh my archive that i have with uh my friend victor gardea who uh i believe you've met a couple of times yes. through different screening events uh, we are the moving pictures symposium archive and right now we're about 50 35 millimeter titles and uh, over 16 millimeter titles strong
0: wait say that one more time slower oh okay for me not for the camera or the microphone I'm, my brain's processing this.
1: Oh, okay. You so have what? We, uh, <laughs> we've got uh, 50 35 millimeter film prints and over 120 uh, 16 millimeter film prints. So
0: I was texting with Chris a couple nights ago and he's like, oh, you know, I, I have, um oh yeah, I, I saw this. Let me back up. I, I saw this thing that Tarantino had to like beg Friedkin to get a 35 millimeter mm-hmm. print of Exorcist to show at the. At the um, At the, the New, new Beverly, event. and
1: and it's uh, and it has to be the version you've never seen before from 2000. Yes. Yeah,
0: and uh, and then Chris was all, "Oh, you know, I have that right," and I was like, "What?" And it was kind of late, and I was like, "Did I? Did my eyes just just go out <laughs> reading this text?" And he's like, yeah, yeah, oh, I didn't tell you. And I was like, no, you didn't tell me that you own a, a film print of The Exorcist. So please
1: continue. Absolutely. Uh, thank you. And it's, uh, it's an so original amazing. 1973 uh, film print that I believe played in Boston. Victor was able to track its number, and I believe it played on the East Coast at, in late 73. And it was, uh, it's kind of a grail. Uh, what? Yeah, it's, I mean, <laughs> yeah. What the hell? I mean, what the heaven? <laughs> Right. Uh, Well, it's an interesting thing. So we all know Friedkin was on board with uh, improving and uh, making adjustments to his work after the fact. Right. And. What he did with the. Which is why
0: he didn't want to show the those old prints.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, he always felt like there was something wrong with him just because there was something he felt like he couldn't or didn't accomplish. And I mean, I personally, the, the compromise that comes out of that is the beauty of art. And it, you know, it takes on a life of its own once a person receives it. Once you let it into the universe. Yeah, it yeah. just, there's no way to really. I mean, you can change it, but it's not going to uh, alter the already existing impact that the film has had. Having said that, he changed the color scheme a little bit. And then uh, he tweaked it a bit, I believe. And then he mixed the original mono soundtrack to stereo for the 1979 re-release of the film that was all done on 70 millimeter. And Mm -hmm. this version of the film made its way to television, to VHS, to Laserdisc, to DVD, to Blu-ray, 4K, as far as I'm aware. And again, I, I could be wrong in this, but I'm from all my research, this is the version of the film that everybody has seen post 79. Now my print, which still has about 90 to 95% of its color, and is still in perfect color in some scenes on some reels, and the original mono soundtrack is a much different experience of the film for me. Um, it's, and the last time I saw the film was when we did a screening of this print.
0: And yeah, you guys. So you guys have a film projector at your apartment. It's
1: we have a sixteen projector.
0: You have a sixteen. How did you play the thirty-five?
1: We uh, we found some place and had a private screening. Oh, okay, that a bunch of different people had uh, gone to. I've uh, heard
0: about your sixteen nights that are legendary. Are, I,
1: and you are more than welcome to come to any of them.
0: I will be there, sir, with bells on.
1: You're and you're going to be in a part of our part, podcast. Uh, we're going to be watching these sixteens and you know, oh my you know, gosh. podcasting about them I'm after. Honored. So yeah, hell yeah, man. Uh, later on. Uh, but we had—I saw the film, and we'd seen it, and the original mono soundtrack actually made all the difference to me. Mm. It brought a lot of the atmosphere more upfront, if that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, and there's even a moment—the moment when Reagan is first being questioned by the psychiatrist, right—and then she kind of manifests as Pazuzu the demon at the end, and she, you know, her fist goes down, and she kind of. Yeah. Wax the psychiatrist. And then she attacks him and they pull her off. And the scene ends with her letting out a blood curdling half yell, half scream, half roar. And it kind of is cupped off as it transitions into the next scene, which I believe is Father Karras at the Trek. Yeah. And he meets with Lieutenant Kinderman. In Played the, by Lee J. Cobb. Oh, by the brilliant Lee J. Cobb, who gives right one of the most heartfelt performances when he goes over and he's talking to Ellen Burstyn about mm. having seen her work, and then he's like, "My yeah, daughter would like an autograph." Yeah, yeah. He's like, "I lied. It's for me." Uh oh, he's so adorable. Oh yeah, and Freakin'
0: said that that was the third trinity almost of like. <laughs> so you have you have the religious attempt, you have the medical, and then you have the procedural. You know, or the logic detective. Mm, yes, and he also believed that uh, Columbo owes a lot to Lee J. Cobb's performance as the detective. He's like, I'm, you know, Columbo didn't steal it, but you know. <laughs> anyway, sort of. No, no, interrupt. that makes
1: total sense because it's kind of like a. Bumbling and he's he, his interests are far beyond his line of duty, right? Right. He loves talking about going to the movies and you know he, he's a lot like us actually. You know he talks yeah. about going to the rep houses and seeing the old pictures and
0: yeah. He's like, oh, do you want to come see this? Uh, you know this print of it? you want to come to the new Bev and watch? Yeah, they're showing a nice
1: uh, original <laughs> IB tech print of such and such. Um, <laughs> but uh, it's in that uh, in that transition in the mono soundtrack, Reagan's voice echoes into the next scene and it is haunting mm. it is it's setting a greater it's casting a greater spell over what we've got going for the rest of the film it's it's kind of like a harbinger it's like friedkins harbinger mm. uh to the horrors that we're about to witness next i mean it's so perfectly placed and you know i mean everything about that film every screw is right in place with it yeah. i don't know if he later on regretted it and found it to be a little too gimmicky or what but you, we don't get that in any of the video versions that, or excuse me, the home video versions that are seen by audiences today. And, you know, just at all, we don't get that. And that, yeah, that's- the new
0: standard of the film. Precisely. That he deemed.
1: And yeah, so uh, so in having seen this and seen this original grail of a version, it really did, I have a lot more respect for it, Andrew. I've got to say mm. it because I realize that he wasn't, his ego and his vanity as well, he should have had it. Was not driving the car here. It was it was his authorship and his craftsman as an artist, and I, and that made a real difference for me. And, and that I, moment
0: just really smacked you in the face.
1: Yeah, yeah. That in moment, the right way. In the, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Good
1: yeah. way. Yeah, and that and haunted you, like you precisely. And I mean, and in the final scene when Father Dyer is seeing uh, Chris McNeil and Reagan off, you know, outside the house and they're boarding everything up, the sound mix has children. In the background, and that sound is very prominent. Hmm. Uh, you hear it, and it's kind of on a loop. I can see why he may have wanted to alter it. A Maybe loop. he was like, "Oh, you could, if you, listened, you, if could you hear listen, you could do that." On it's the same. Yeah, but it's but the fact that it's a bunch of children kind of in the sound forefront, and then you hear sounds of the city surrounding it also. And okay. It, you know, it was a soundscape, if you will, of uh, this kind of life is back to normal, and children are you know screaming innocence has been saved. I mean, and that that's very empower powerful, uh, and it's so to see the film like that and i hope uh i don't know how i'm going to make it happen but i hopefully we can have a screening of this version sometime soon but oh my god that's all i'm going to say (laughs) let me know please let me know Uh, i also want to point out that when lieutenant Kinderman is talking to chris mcneil about seeing her work the film that he mentions to her that he saw twice was a film called angel oh yeah so you think about that, angel, religion. Angels and demons. Angels and demons. Yeah. It just uh, little things like little, that. Little, little, little things. Yeah, yeah. You, you go,
0: oh, mm, I see what he did there. Yeah, that's cool, <laughs> that's cool. Angel. Yeah, yeah. And Ellen Bernstein's really the angel
1: here. Oh, Ellen Burstyn is, you know, they I'm wanted... I'm saying her name wrong, yeah. Yeah, it's Ellen Burstyn. And, you know, they wanted, I believe the story goes, they wanted Audrey Hepburn or Jane Fonda.
0: Yeah, that's what I heard when I was watching the, the commentary. And uh, I guess Hepburn said... Oh, if you come to Rome, I'm living in Rome right yeah, now. We, yeah, we yeah, can do yeah. it. But they didn't want to just go to Rome. And we did yeah. need,
1: you know, more of an actress personality. Uh, I had seen it with somebody uh, around the I, around the same time that we showed our print, and he had mentioned out. This person had mentioned that uh, it takes a grand actress, a grandstanding personality of an actress, to enter a room of the highest paid psychiatrist in the world and scream at them, you know, my daughter's acting like she's fucking out of her mind and you're fucking telling me I'm not, Multiple personality. Multiple personality. Whatever's upstairs is not my daughter. Yeah, 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 yeah. 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 And uh, so I don't think Hepburn really would have been able to fill that that whole room. I think Jane Fonda would have been, and Jane Fonda would have... been probably just as effective because Chris McNeil is a movie star and Jane Fonda oh, yeah. at the time, you know, that was, was around. Yeah, right. and she was very, she would, might have been a little young for the part, but she was certainly the glamorous movie star that, you know, she basically could have played herself, I would imagine, in many scenes. But my point is, I'm ultimately glad they went with Burstyn because Burstyn was uh, more, I think, human and the audiences could accept her more as a mother. and a movie star than Jane Fonda all they really would have seen was Barbarella or you know Brie Daniels from Clute
0: (laughs) yeah freaking said he liked to mix in big names with with unknowns Mm -hmm. to give it again that organic that natural yeah vibe Mm -hmm. and I think you're right I think that is the problem when you have people that are well known is in your mind there's already an association which is you know actors want to be different every time they're chameleons Mm -hmm. so it's like it's kind of a it sucks to be typecast or whatever right but also, you know, you want to go for that natural, organic. And he saw how good she was, but she hadn't had a had a leading role. And he had really had to lobby for her with with the studio. Mm-hmm. Um, but like you said, he got his way, and he he knew how to fight. He did. He really did. And bless him, because yeah, you know. And I think after French Connection went really well and won Best Picture, he had more leverage. And then, you know, source. I mean, a sorcerer probably wouldn't have happened if it wasn't for how well Exorcist went. Yeah, commercially as well.
1: That was yeah. Sorcerer was kind of in the eye of the storm of studios letting these directors who had proven themselves uh, do whatever they want carte blanche. Yeah, and I've always thought Final Cut. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he didn't have Final Cut on it, but it's uh, you know that's going to be the ever (laughs) point that we may or may not keep on going back to. But he did. uh, Yeah, with Sorcerer, he was uh, he made it pitch perfect and even to his own degree you know, he has mentioned.
0: Yeah. No, for sure. Um, so I know I, that's the thing about this. And I know we both talked about it that we don't really believe that. I don't really believe that there are actual demons. Um, I believe in metaphor. Yeah. I, I do believe in good and evil. Yeah. And that, it, so a demon could be an avatar for this evil force, but he mixed in speaking of sound design, which we talked about. Mm. And that's really, thank you for bringing that stuff up, up about the film print. Yeah. Apparently, mixed in some real demonic possession sounds from a real exorcism that occurred in Rome. Uh, the guttural sound of the demon being tortured, like the,
1: Arr! yeah, yeah. You yeah, know, yeah.
0: a lot of that was the actress. Uh, remind me of her Mercedes name? Mercedes McCambridge. Mercedes McCambridge, who, my goodness, what a. And Freakin's like, I really, I really tortured this woman. Yeah. She was on board, though.
1: Yeah, she was, but like, you know, I think as my understanding of the story goes that, you know, she was uh, sober and had a lot of demons, and then she chain-smoked and drank, you know, fell off the wagon, and I guess... Whiskey. Yeah, yeah. whiskey, and then, you know, drank raw eggs, and they tied they her into her in, a yeah. Su- yeah, They strapped her into a, a He's suit. like, oh man, we really let her have it. Yeah, yeah. So. But
0: she wanted to get... And apparently, he was like, what's the most n- neutral-sounding female voice that I can use as kind of base point, ground zero, mm-hmm. and then go from there with... So apparently they had a, a male, they had a male voiceover, and it was just like it just sounds like a dude. Yeah, I want I want a, a female voice, so it's believable that Reagan's kind of still in there a little.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: Um, That it's not just a dude voiced over. Mm-hmm. And so he was like, "What's a what's a kind of neutral voice of this woman?" And Mercedes McCambridge came into his head, and then he mm-hmm. reached out to her, and she you know was available. And apparently she didn't want her name on the thing because of all the swearing, and you know mm-hmm. her her reputation as kind of being like an honest. Straight shooter. Right. But then uh, after
1: the film was a hit. I think she uh, wanted her cut. She she did. Yeah. And then she, I think she was like, wait a minute. I was a part of this too. And again, I may be wrong about this, but. I'm-
0: That's what I read in the autobiography that she later, she was like, no matter what I say, don't, don't, don't put my name on there. Don't, don't like, don't even like, I'm doing this just for the sake of doing it. And then it was a monster hit. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's
1: that's a it, it's a beautiful technique and a way to capture a performance, wouldn't you say? And, absolutely. Something that they did similarly. Realistic. With, uh, very. Uh, and, and I mean, I think that you might you have to have limits and boundaries for that kind of a thing. But I think right. didn't Coppola do the same thing with Martin Sheen in Apocalypse Now? Yeah. Uh, when exactly. you watch Heart of Darkness, you realize that his breakdown in his you know room and it, that you see in the beginning of the film was him really in a drunken kind of like. Fugue. yeah fugue self-pitying and like crying his eyes out and yeah, yeah it's, it's really, really right, right obviously
0: yeah and i i think of when i think of sorcerer i th- i think of um i think of apocalypse now that this was his piece but with exorcist yeah like again capturing the real making it real and all the decisions all the decisions are this needs to be a realistic experience to the audience mm-hmm. i don't want them to be like oh i believe this or that i just want it to feel real yeah and if you can do that in your pieces and he does that in his movies and that's i think one of the like we already established that's what makes one of the things that makes him such a powerful force yeah. and the voices that come out of 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 poor reagan's mouth in that movie and <laughs> and the dick dick smith's um powerful makeup job and apparently they looked at real burn victims and Real gangrene and like the layering of her face, and you know, things twisting around, and really bringing the blood when the time was to come, really bringing the vomit when you know, not shortchanging
1: on these horrific elements absolutely sells it. Definitely, and yeah. without it it's just it wouldn't work right and you know the older I think any audience member you and I for to uh get the more unsightly it really does become it you know is. I, I, it's I hard like, to look it. at it is and I you know like you I was quite I really feel the, it yeah 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 it's uh the scene with the the tongue the scene where her tongue oh like sticks out God. is uh that's I think the most terrifying shot because of the mm. way she's just lit from the side the little you know night post light kind of lighting her up on the side and then the right. rest of her face is kind of shrouded in darkness and the perfect lighting right yeah and then the, the her uh, oh Owen Ruizman another one that we lost uh just
0: Oh my god like, yeah he just passed at the beginning was, of this year right it Was
1: the beginning of this year okay yeah it was yeah. Sort of like last year So he
0: year, he shot the yeah. French connection and actually they talked a lot about this and freaking talked a lot about mm-hmm. him in the uh the commentary of this movie that so for French Connection, they wanted to feel like a documentary, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and on this one, it's like it was the total opposite of one yeah. eighty. It's got to be controlled. It took way longer, mm-hmm. but he did such a beautiful job. This was like over a hundred days shoot The Exorcist, yeah. Whereas the French Connection, they shot in a weekend. No, I'm kidding. It wasn't that. Long. It wasn't that quick. But you know,
1: uh, <laughs> he feels it though, like the rush, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, and it was just uh, it was a lighting job, and everything had to be perfectly controlled and perfectly orchestrated. But it's so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and mean, a lot well, of that side lighting, I guess they're trying to get the things to pop out, like uh, the breath. Like mm-hmm. freaking's like, you have to light it from the side, otherwise
1: you don't see the breath. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't pick up. So mm-hmm. same thing with trying to light smoke from a candle. I uh,
0: oh yeah right.
1: I did deal. a short years ago yeah where I was uh, I wanted to do this close up shot of a of a of a match being lit and then going and lighting the wick of a candle and it was the lighting was insane. It was a lot of fun to set up though.
0: That's really cool. Yeah. And there, yeah, that's how you learn. Yeah. I mean, what a, what a, what a force. Um, yeah. Just having like the best of the best on there doing their, all their key parts and freaking directing it so perfectly. And Linda Blair's performance is unbelievable. And apparently there was, there was all this, Oh my God, Linda Blair was, was broken. And you know, she was in a mental ward after the making of this movie and freaking's like, Oh, she was back in school. Like, getting straight A's and you know she bounced back but she did I did hear though to- that
1: uh, for, what is it for six months after it Warner Brothers hired a personal bodyguard for her just so because you had people that were running up like this little girl is the devil and you oh know, I'm sure you know yeah, I'm sure God. it hasn't been reported but yeah she probably received I wouldn't be surprised if I heard that she you know received death threats or you know had people running up to her and screaming in her face and then running away I mean yeah this had to have impacted her life.
0: Oh, I, I can't imagine. Um, it must have. I mean, but what a what a performance from her. And apparently, you know, like they they put her next to uh, Bernstein, and that's how they felt like oh, this is this is for real. They they have a real chemistry, they seem like really good friends and mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. and there's and Freakin's like, she was such so cute and innocent and smart and yeah, again, if we don't care about her then, then this this game and then game over you know we got nothing here yeah so when she looked the part so too
1: yeah you know she was a great actress I mean she looked the part too she was very apple American girl next door yeah you know right the kind of girl that anybody would want to save I mean if if he had put you know a latin girl or a you know a different girl of color unfortunately given the you know racial terrain that the country was in they probably wouldn't have responded as well that's true. uh and and that's not something that i want to go into uh, but no <laughs> but but no she she really did with her you know button nose and her apple cheeks and you know right. fair skinned uh,
0: yeah let's make this the perfect american kind of uh suburban yeah setting and then when we bring the horror in, that's where we're at, Definitely. and people can really feel that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's also good business. That's that's a way to you know reach your audiences, right? I do want to right. use that moment to point out that uh, in Exorcist Two, being a much more all-inclusive intellect, you do see how evil, as we are discussing, affects the Latinx communities and the mm-hmm. Black communities, and. Uh, well, I, I must disc- see this film. We're <laughs> yeah. gonna watch it soon. I want you and over here. Then we'll here. discuss. Absolutely. And then we're gonna. I'm gonna have you back. That one, yeah. That one uh, deserves its own. You know, just aside Borman and Enya Morricone's beautiful score aside.
0: <laughs> I can't wait to watch it, brother, uh, with you. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, there's there's a million things that we could talk about. I obviously my show is not a laundry list of facts. I, I'm more interested in what this movie's impact is on you. Mm-hmm. Why we feel that it's an important film. Why is freaking so important, and mm-hmm. I'm really, I just R.I.P. William Friedkin. For real, what a what a titan, and um, what yeah. a loss. But like you said, lived a full life and made so many great
1: movies. Yeah, and I mean, and he, we're well, so like,
0: lucky to have him.
1: We we really were lucky to have him. I'm gonna go on a you know a little bit of a tangent here and say that it, it was now that you know talking about this with you and kind of going back to all the different events and screenings that he spoke at. Uh, it was almost like, you know, oh, tonight we're going over to Uncle Billy's house and we're going to sit around him. You know, he's going to sit in his recliner and we're all going to sit on the you know, floor in a semi-circle and listen to him talk. I mean, that was really the vibe whenever he was there, mm-hmm. you know, and it was, you never really felt the need to chase him with an autograph or, for, you know, for a selfie or something because, you know, it was... Uncle Bill. Yeah, Uncle Billy. It was pre. It was ordained, basically, <laughs> no pun intended, <laughs> that he was going to be back and that you would, you know, I missed him that time. Him. Oh, well, you know he's going to pop up again. And he did. You know, he popped up at, you know, I don't know if it was French Connection recently. There was uh, there was one uh, Q&A that he was supposed to give shortly before his death at the Academy that he ended up canceling on because he was, he was in such, you know, well. poor condition. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, but no, mm-hmm. we really are. Uh, even those who probably don't know it have been more, you know, elevated and more impacted by his work i mean because his work is so culturally resonant resonating you know and yeah. significant i mean it's you cannot go through life not knowing what the exorcist in all of its references is or the french connection and its references uh and even when he did bug and uh killer joe killer I joe i haven't
0: seen killer joe yet
1: i i must admit i haven't seen it either i've seen bug i yeah. love it right? yeah right yeah i saw bug too and i was i was blown ripping away and by powerful that. as well yeah yeah and and like uh birthday party and boys and the band it was based on a play
0: Right, right, right. Yeah, and you can feel it. It's all one location, mm-hmm. all inside the house, inside the um, motel.
1: Yeah, yeah and all psychological too, which is you know, yeah, very psychological, harrowing. Yeah, as only he could do it.
0: Right, know? is it real or is it in his head? And I have thought about um, Kafka's Metamorphosis. You know, again, transformed mm-hmm. into a bug. Yeah, is it in his head? Is it real? Does it matter? Mm-hmm. Uh, again, I I remember that was ringing in my ears when I watched when I watched it back in '06 or '07. I think it came out in '06 yeah yeah Yeah. and uh man i just chris uh, sometimes some of my friends make fun of me i (laughs) i I take like celebrity deaths sometimes a little hard and i'm like but there is something about it when you love somebody and you really are impacted by what they do and to me he represents kind of one of the last of that era yeah uh and like you said it's hard to put him into a decade or Mm -hmm. or a couple of decades because the man has just been at it for so long Mm -hmm. but in my mind he he really um Epitomizes the 70s and 80s. And I just, I, I wept when he passed. And, yeah. um, no, I, I'm I regretted the, not seeing him live. I really did. It, Darn
1: it. It's, you know, uh, we, we, I, I will always be here to talk about that and, uh, you know, give you oh, a, an you. IV for that. I'm going to yeah, lean on you for that. drip on that. Oh, you know, you got it, bro. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I just want to point out that I'm with you as well. Uh, I actually take celebrity deaths very hard. I think most of us who, were touched enough to uh, center our lives around wanting to be in this industry mm-hmm. because these, you know, this great work was so personal to us. Yeah. It's uh, and and it's kind of like our duty to continue to drink, you know, the wealth from the spring of the inspiration that these films have to offer us, and uh, and continue to find our own voices to offer the same you know i think there's a responsibility there's a very important responsibility to audiences that goes far beyond you know the effect the films have or how much money the films make uh yeah. there is there's an unwritten contract for you know people who i think are really in it for all the right reasons and he was in it for all the right reasons he, yeah. he was a true artist he, he really was and he and he like he knew how uh he knew how how famous he was uh, and he knew how beloved he had become but unlike other directors that kind of use that to stay untouchable to the public he made himself so readily available to the public which was yet yeah. another stud of like said, fireside
0: chats with yeah 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 sitting just sitting
1: hand. around the you know the recliner listening to him tell stories you know he wouldn't shy away
0: <sighs> so yeah. beautiful. Very. Chris, I'm so glad you came here today to talk about Fritkin. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Happy 50th Exorcist. Happy 50th. R.I.P. the Great.
1: Mm -hmm. R.I.P. And I I want to really quickly. Billy. Billy. Billy, Absolutely. I did want to quickly go back to just Owen Ruizman. and. Oh, yes, please. uh, Just mention they did a a little Owen Ruiz. He photographed some pretty premium pictures back in the day. He did Taking of Pelham 1, 2, 3. Oh, yeah. uh, And then he did The Stepford Wives, which I... Personally, think is one of his greater uh, accomplishments. But you know, you're watching a film that he photographed when you see it. He had a trademark. You know, he had a fingerprint. He had a stamp. In, yeah, yeah, a stamp in, in in the way that he lit things. So uh, R.I.P. Billy, R.I.P. Owen.
0: Yeah, no, and freaking really really took a shot on him on French Connection. He was young at the time. I think in his early 30s, mm-hmm. 31 or two or something like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember he, he uh, freaking said in the commentary of Exorcist, he's like, well, don't you want to see like my reel or whatever, or like see some of the stuff. Is then he's like, no, no,
1: no,
0: <laughs> yeah. you got this. Sounds like. And it. he was so blown away by his work on um on The French Connection. And then he was like, all right, well, this is going to be another test for him. But you you got this, man. And he really believed in him. And you know, Exorcist is one of the most powerfully photographed and lit pieces yeah, ever.
1: Yeah, it is dead ass a masterpiece to anybody for any reason whatsoever.
0: Mm. It's so it's so
1: good. Yeah.
0: All right, brother. Well, thanks again. And this has been lovely. Chris, love seeing you when when I'm out. Um, It's really good to have you here for the first time and uh, to many more. And I can't wait to see your home setup as well and your 16 millimeter
1: projector. Wow. It's going to be great, dude. Just you wait.
0: Can we hang out?
1: Yeah. Let's go to the Bev. Let's go to the Bev, baby. Yeah, let's see a movie.
0: (laughs) All right. Thanks again.